This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Welcome to Bartender Journey Podcast number 101. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and spirits and cocktails. And I thank you for listening. And I thank everyone who uh, wrote in or I spoke to uh, congratulating me on the 100th episode. That was a cool milestone. I always enjoy hearing from people. So thank you all for that. And uh, today I'm going to bring you a little bit more audio I recorded down at Tales of Cocktail 2014. I had a chance to chat with Julie Reiner, who's a very successful bar owner in New York City. And she was involved with the Flatiron Lounge and now is the proprietor of the Clover Club in Brooklyn. And she's a very influential uh, person in the cocktail scene in New York and throughout the country, really. So that was cool talking with her. And uh, also I had the pleasure of going on the walking tour, the cocktail tour of New Orleans. And that's uh, an official uh, Tale of the Cocktail event. And uh, it's hosted by Joe Gendusa. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, he has such a cool old world southern accent i just had to play this clip for you so it's uh it was fun but before we get into that one thing we've never talked about on this show is wine knowledge for bartenders and i'm no expert and i've I've been wanting to get somebody on the show um to do a full show about that but uh just just thought we could touch on it briefly Obviously, depending on the kind of bar you're working in, uh, there might be only one red and one white wine choice, or uh, you may have 10, 20, 30 glasses, uh, or you may have uh, hundreds of bottles and uh, 10, 20, 30 by the glass. Who, who knows? Depending where you work, obviously. But, um, you know, the uh, basic types of white wine, of course, Chardonnay, everyone knows, and uh, Pinot Grigio, the two most popular, and uh, Pinot Grigio, slightly drier, um, lighter than the Chardonnay. Chardonnay is a little fuller uh, mouthfeel, which is a common phrase for uh, how it how it feels in your mouth, <laughs> and then that's used in the wine business as well as cocktails, you know, and uh and some others, uh, Riesling, um, generally considered a little, little sweeter. Uh, sometimes it can be very sweet. Uh, German Rieslings can be can be quite sweet. That's uh, how most people think of them. Although that's not always the case. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc is a quite uh, dry white wine. And what do we mean by dry? Uh, and sorry if I'm being too basic here, but I'm really breaking it down to the most uh, the easiest level for anyone who doesn't know. Dry is the opposite of sweet. Then there's Moscato, which has uh, gotten a little more popular recently. It's I think it's starting to drop off a bit. It's quite sweet, really, for, uh, in, in my opinion and a lot of people's opinion, it's kind of uh, the non-drinker's drink. Uh, it's sweet and fruity, and, uh, and it's not something I would drink, but people like what they like, and uh, we're not here to judge them, right? We serve our guests what they want. So moving on to red wines, uh, Cabernet and Merlot would be the most popular uh, here in America anyway. And, uh, it could be, uh, just like I said, with the white wines, it could be hundred percent or more likely it's a blend up to 75%, uh, Cabernet, if you're going to call it Cabernet or 75% Merlot with other, other grapes blended in and it can still be called Merlot. Um, Pinot, Pinot Noir has become more popular lately. And, uh, I like that. It's a little richer than uh, Merlot and, uh, it's fruity, but, um, balanced usually you know depending where it's made and what what quality the wine is zinfandel is kind of a funny one because uh, a lot of people walk into a bar and order a zinfandel what they mean is white zinfandel which is a pinkish wine not actually a rosé technically but uh similar to a rosé so it's a, a pinkish wine and uh what they're looking for is that that white zinfandel a true zinfandel is a very 
darkly colored red wine, uh, peppery taste, and uh, that's uh, not for the beginner wine drinker. Uh, it's, it's good stuff generally. But uh, again, people will order a Zinfandel. Usually what they're looking for is a white Zinfandel. And while we're talking about Zinfandel, uh, let's talk about the pronunciation of Zinfandel for a second. Uh, in my opinion, it should be Zinfandel, not Zinfandel. I don't know. Some people pronounce it really strangely. Zinfandel, Zinfandel, Zinfandel. I don't know. I try not to be too judgmental on this show, but uh, that one drives me a little crazy. Uh, depending where you are regionally, maybe it's correct. Uh, I call it Zinfandel. Let's leave it at that. So all those wines I just mentioned are named for the grapes that they were made from. You know, for instance, Merlot is a certain varietal of grape. The wine may not be 100% Merlot. It may or may not, uh, but it has to be at least 75% Merlot if they're going to call it a Merlot. And that's uh, that's American wines we're talking about now. And that's the way wines are named in America by the by the grape, uh, generally, not always. Uh, but in Europe, wine is traditionally named for the region that it comes from. So, for instance, you've probably heard of Burgundy and Bordeaux. These are regions of France. They're large regions of France, uh, and there's subregions within that. But uh, the wines of France are almost always a blend of grapes. You'll rarely see a wine made in, in Europe made with uh, 100% of one grape, but, you know, there's always exceptions. And as a rule of thumb, and this is totally oversimplified, but uh, take from it what you will, uh, Burgundy will generally contain more Merlot. Bordeaux will generally contain more Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, every wine's going to be different, but the point I'm trying to make here is that as a general rule, if somebody's asking you about it, you can sort of safely say that a Burgundy is going to be more in the style of a Merlot and a Bordeaux is going to be more in the style of a Cabernet Sauvignon. And just to finish up our uh, very brief and generalized discussion about wine, uh, moving on to glasses. Uh, generally, you'll have two different glasses. A red wine glass is more of a bowl shape. A white wine glass is taller, but a lot of bars will only have one wine glass and... Uh, that that's okay. You can do what you do what you have to do. But uh, if you look, if you see two different wine glasses, one is of a, sort of a bowl shape and one is taller. The red wine will go in that more bowl shaped glass. White wine in the taller one. Again, I apologize if that was uh, a dumbed down discussion. You know, if you knew all that already, or uh, but hopefully uh, it helped some of our some of our listeners, uh, especially the, the aspiring uh, beginner bartenders. So uh, there you go. And again, I'm definitely not an expert on this, but I just wanted to give you all a uh, brief overview because I think uh, it's an aspect of bartending we've never touched on in any of the hundred episodes. So uh, I wanted to at least bring it up, and I'll try to get an expert on the show to educate us all better on this subject. But in the meantime, you can of course find many podcasts dedicated just to wine. And the one I really like is called Wine for Normal People. All right, enough about wine for today. Uh, let's take a listen to a little audio from the Tales of the Cocktail Walking Cocktail Tour of New Orleans. And this was recorded at the last stop on the tour, Antoine's. And sometimes I'll leave here and I'll walk over to Two Jacques with somebody and show you the whole thing. They make great Sazeracs there. Yes. So you mentioned Sazeracs? Where's the best Sazerac or the original one? Well, let me put it to you this way. A Sazerac is a drink. You don't order on Bourbon Street. You've got to order a Sazerac at an upscale bar. In other words, it's delicate. If you don't make that drink exactly right, you just spit it across the bar. This bar makes it to die for a Sazerac. 
But then they were highlighting this, so they gave you this drink. But if you want to have a size right now, Mike makes a great, they make a great one at the Carousel Bar. Okay. Also, the, the Napoleon House. Oh, that's a great, well, that's a great bar. There's another bar I couldn't go to today, but I probably will go tomorrow because I couldn't get in there today. It was Arnaud's French 75 Bar. It's around the corner from the hotel. Arnaud's is a restaurant like this, bigger. It serves 1,200 people. There are 20 dining rooms. And you'll see all the presidents and all, but the difference is it's not as old as this restaurant. Arnaud's opened in 1918. I mean, it's old, and it's not the original owner. But it's a fabulous restaurant. You need a jacket for that place? Arno's right now, no. There is a, it's summertime, but I wouldn't wear shorts. I would wear like this, you know, shirt and pants. And but there are 20 there's one dining room that's very casual. It's called the Bistro. That bar, the French 75 bar, again, this past year was named the number one bar in the city. And Chris Hanner is the bartender. He makes a Sazerac to die. And so definitely go over there. But again, Sazeracs are sippers. Remember, it's a strong drink. Men loves it. If you want to really, it's a man's drink, really. But it's a great drink. But Mike, the bartender here that made these drinks, he's a very good bartender. Yeah, it's supposed to be served in a rocks glass, yeah? Yes, yeah. definitely served in a rocks glass. That's why I didn't want you to order that and we're going to put it in a go-cup. No. Well, the reason I asked, because I was served one last night in a martini glass, and I was... Oh, a Sazerac in a martini oh, glass? Yeah. We do one Where the hell can they do that? What bar was this? I've never heard of this. It was a restaurant. I won't mention the name. Oh, okay. <laughs> did they put one rock in it? Here? No. No. No, no, no ice. No, no ice. ice. Now, no, it's chill. It's chilled. Yeah, it was chill. They chill it in ice, but they strain it into the rocks glass. But what made you, what made me laugh, what time I ordered it in? a place on Bourbon Street. I thought it was a decent place. And it was with crushed ice and I went, oh, what the hell are you serving? Oh, no, no. <laughs> you have the and, and the garnish is orange or lemon? It's a lemon peel. It is they lemon. Rim the lemon peel. And they drop it in the glass. Right, but you'll, as you sip it, you're going to smell the anise. They've coated the glass with the absinthe or the herbsap before they strain it into the glass. And this, but, this, uh, it's, this. A, it's history. I always say that's history in a glass. That's, we like to think of it. Now, people will, I, I don't want you to, this understand, people will argue about that story of the original Sazerac. All right? I always like to say, that's our story, and we're sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> but there have been mentionings that actually, before Mr. Pace's show, there was a drink in New York somewhere that they called a cocktail. And yes. I don't know. This, but I will tell you this. The story that I told you, maybe it's become all the famous bartenders from all over the world, they agree with us, it's our story. So I can only tell you some of the famous bartenders have created in New Orleans, it's the Sazerac, so I, I don't want to argue with you. But, because some people will say, that's not true. Tails is here, we have bartenders from all over the world, they love the story. If there's one bartender you have to meet while you're here, he's Dale DeGroff. He's King Cocktail. Dale is probably the most famous bartender in the world. He, come, he helped us create Tales. He's here, and he's got a magnificent book in the bookstore. It's called uh, The Craft of the Cocktail. Now, my book is also in the bookstore. <laughs> I'm not telling you, but I just thought of it when no, I was talking. tell us. But, you know, you want to go to the bookstore? It's called History with a Twist, Lemon, a Lime. It's this tour in book form. It's all 
places. The history of this place, the drink recipes, all the stories I've told you, it's all through the book. If you don't get it there, I'll tell you, they also sell it at a shop called Flirty Girl. You see, Flirty Girl is on St. Peter right off of, uh, I'm doing a book signing on Friday for Flirty Girl. And they also sell it at a bookstore on the square, Jackson Square, called the 1850 House Bookstore. It's a, people love it because they've taken the tour. It's all the stuff, not just the three that I took you to. It's all 16 stops on the tour. Plus the history of the cocktail. Anne wrote the forward, Anne Tournament. And, and if you get the book, it's going to tell you how all this happened. How tales came about because of the tour and how we came up with all these ideas to do this. So it's kind of an interesting book. Is my book is it's on a spiral. It's, so it's I think it's twelve or fourteen dollars. But it's not expensive. And Dale's book is a beautiful hardback cover. But I hope you all enjoy this. I love it. Cheers. 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 My favorite part was at the end there where Joe says, let's go into the bar, maybe I'll have a drink. He, you know, he was working hard, showing people around in the heat all day long, and he was ready for a cocktail himself. So I bought him one. Anyway, what he was talking about there, that's our story, and we're sticking to it, was uh, the story of uh, his version of what the first cocktail was, the Sazerac, invented in New Orleans. Uh, Dale DeGroff and David Wondridge would tell you something, uh, tell a different story about how the cocktail was was invented in New York, but uh, this is a fun story nonetheless, and uh, who knows. David Wondridge will also tell you, finding the history of uh, drinking in bars and things is always uh, a little tricky because everybody was drinking, <laughs> and the memories are foggy, and things weren't written down. But anyway, here's that story uh, from earlier on the tour, Joe talking about the first Sazerac cocktail. He talks about Mr. Peychaud, who uh, still today, there's Peychaud bitters, and he was uh, a druggist or a chemist. You know, he would make up uh, medicines to uh, to cure all your Ill, ills. And uh, so one of his medicines was uh, what turned out to be bitters. Here's Joe again talking earlier in the tour. His name is Antoine Peychaud. Very famous name here in Louisiana. Mr. Peychaud, of course, think about this. In the evening, all of his buddies, his French friends, the men, would stop on their way home from work and they'd talk about business and Mr. Peychaud decided, being nice, poured all of his buddies a little cognac and they'd sip cognac and talk about the day and this is when he changes history. His most famous medicine, the medicine that's still made here, he decided, we have no idea why, but he changes history, he took a couple of drops of it and put the medicine in the cognac and they started, they loved it. Nobody had ever done that before. Now the medicine is bitters. We think of bitters as going into drinks. This is where it all begins. All right, so next we're going to talk to Julie Reiner. This is a uh, portion of the interview I did with Julie for uh, Tales 365. I'm running a podcast for Tales 365 members. Uh, you probably heard me talk about that before. Uh, that's a cool program that you can sign up for at talesofthecocktail.com. And uh, there's all kind. Of, there's my podcast. There's another podcast that's uh, exclusively for the members of that. And you can see um, videos of, of some of the seminars that were at Tales, and uh, it's a real good program. So you might want to check that out. But meanwhile, here's a little excerpt uh, from the interview with Julie Reiner. <laughs> All right. I'm here with the great Julie Reiner from uh, Flatiron Lounge and Clover Club mainly. Clover Club. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, I haven't I haven't visited Clover Club. But I've been oh to yeah. Flatiron, which is such a cool experience. It's like walking into a yeah. time machine. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, so much it fun. 
But uh, why do you think nostalgia is such a cool part of the bar experience? Well, I mean, here in the U.S., it's really, you know, that, you know, bar culture was born out of pre-prohibition era. Yeah. And so, you know, that's when we were doing it best. Uh, and, you know, when, when we opened Flatiron, we really wanted to celebrate um, that that period of time and, and really revisit the cocktails that were happening back then because they, they needed they needed to get back to that point where we were mm-hmm. using fresh juice and great ice and good spirits and you know really measuring things and doing it the right way right since we had lost our way yeah. <laughs> in the 50s through the 70s you know right right well you're from hawaii originally yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. my uh, my mom grew up in oahu and i i spent some time there myself oh good but uh yeah i imagine that must have influenced your love of fresh ingredients and such. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I had a mango tree in my backyard and a lychee tree in the front yard. And, you know, yeah, the fresh fruit was always a big um, part of my life and making, you know, early experiments with blended uh, mango yeah. <laughs> in my house. Um, so, yeah, for sure. It's amazing to see, yeah. you know, mangoes just growing wild and papayas and all that it's it's, it's such an amazing place yeah the other reason i think that a lot of us like to to revisit you know the classic look of bars um is because it never gets old yeah when you open a bar that's old it doesn't get old because it is old you know know. whereas like if you open a bar with a brand new concept right it can get dated really fast you know it's it's and then you're spending money to flip it and turn it into something else or you know it's if you have a kitschy kind of modern theme it doesn't right. It, yeah right but if it's old it's just old yeah <laughs> i think about old. that with hotels a lot you know yeah. they, they redecorate the place constantly to try yeah. to look modern and they're like this in two years three two years, years you're gonna have to fix it yeah change it again <laughs> yeah it's gonna be stale you know yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's silly um you've been nominated for um bar mentor best bar mentor in the, in the uh, spirited awards so that's that's pretty cool i won yeah. it last year yeah uh, oh i'm sorry yeah, yeah. I'm the, I'm <laughs> incorrect yeah sorry. no last and year yeah i was nominated last year and and won won that as well as um best american cocktail bar and um, best high volume bar mm-hmm. at tails last year what best yeah. bar mentor that's uh that's such a cool category it's a great be, yeah, yeah. I, I mean i was just like really that's that's <laughs> the one you want to win you know it's, yeah. a, it's a great yeah those individual awards i mean it was that was such a cool it was a really cool award to win and certainly means me, means more to me than any of uh, any other award i've i've ever been given you know because yeah. it's um it's great to be recognized for for what you've uh, help to build and for teaching other people and mentoring them, bringing them up in the industry. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the legacy that people sort of see of what I, what I've done over the years with my partners at, at Flatiron and Clover Club and, um, and where those bartenders have gone and what they have done, you know? So it's just the family, you can't argue with the family tree, you know, (laughs) you know, so it's there. Right. It seems the, uh, it seems this business is, um, people are very generous with their knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least, yeah, in New York, that's definitely the case. And some markets aren't, that's not the case as much, but, um, but New York, we're, we're all very open to sharing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a uh, brown derby cocktail at the Flatiron one time. Oh yeah, it was just something I'll never forget. It was awesome. Yeah. And now I started making them yeah, at home and at my, and uh, pushing them on my guests when I, I bartend myself one yeah. a week. So it's yeah, uh, they're, it's delicious and uh, simple. And, oh, yeah. it's great. You know, um, 
it's been said that you have a uh, culinary approach to making cocktails. Do you, do you agree with that statement? Or <laughs> um, well, you know, I early on in my career, I um, I sort of described it that way because mm. so few people were using fresh ingredients yeah. in New York in like '97. You know, mm. um, that people would ask about it, and I would say, yeah, I take a more culinary approach to cocktails using fresh, you know, homemade syrups and fresh ingredients and um, creating, you know, different tinctures and things to use in the cocktails. Um, and it was the easiest way to explain what I was doing back mm. then. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, it doesn't seem like that long ago, but, you know, in 1997, 98, it was sour mix on the gun and cranberry juice at in New York. You yeah. Know? And there's, there's still so much of that outside I mean, of the city. I mean, it's crazy you know? that it was just like, wow, fresh juice? Yeah. You know, but that really kind of was how it, how it was then. What do you think you bartenders know? that work in, let's call it a typical bar that still has sour mix and cranberry yeah. juice on the gun, what can they do better? Um, talk their owners into fresh yeah. ingredients. <laughs> you the know, it's hard. They, a lot of them are because they just don't understand yeah. it, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember working in a bar. It's funny because I... I filled in for at a bar that a friend owned, and it, that was the case. And I, I ended up like muddling lemons all night long because mm. I couldn't bear to give people shitty drinks. Right. Um, so I was like mm. muddling lemons yeah. and like so that I could get some fresh yeah. citrus, you know, into right. a drink. But you know, I mean, that's it. It's like bring. I mean, all you can do is sort of help to educate the if the owners are not bar cocktail people yeah. you know make them a drink with the sour mix on the gun and make them mm. one with lime juice and let them taste both and decide you know i mean <laughs> once you go once you have it it's like it's hard to turn around and go back yeah. so yeah you know that's true any other advice for um so let's say young bartenders trying to get into into the business um yeah i mean you know it's learn everything from the bottom up I, there's a lot of i feel like a lot of the young bartenders um are so eager to be a bartender that they don't, you know, it's like bar back for a year, yeah. cocktail waitress, right. do other jobs so that you can kind of, so that you can watch and learn and see what's happening before you actually get behind the stick and touch a bottle. Yeah. Um, you know, learn everything, read everything. <laughs> Even back of the house. Taste stuff, right? everything. You know? Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, absolutely. You make a gun and jump on like gators do. Julie's great. Love talking to her. I remember that interview. I was at one event and I, had, I was running late and I had to run over to uh, meet her at a different hotel and it was pouring, pouring rain, pouring rain in New Orleans, like rain I'd never seen before. And uh, but I ran through it and got there and then the air conditioning's blowing on me and I'm freezing cold and I was like, but uh. The interview turned out pretty good, I think, anyway, despite all that. So my name is Brian Vincent Weber, and this is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Please check out the website, bartenderjourney.net, and go to Facebook. Just search for Bartender Journey, and you can uh, find me on Twitter at barkeeptips. And feel free to email me at vince.bartender at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Cheers.